Welcome to the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WBEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host and producer of the Happy Hour, Olga Peters, and so glad you can be joining us today. This will be an interesting conversation because we have uh, we are going to be talking about big tech and all the things that we do on social media that um, hmm. Maybe they were designed, maybe they're habit, but maybe they're not good for us. So I want to welcome to the show, Emily Kornheiser, Representative Emily Kornheiser. So glad you're here. Hi, Olga. So good to see you. And we are actually streaming live on Facebook for the first time in a long time because I had actually purposely forgotten my password. Uh-huh. And I it was my birthday recently. And so I went out of my way to remember to get a new password so that I could go see my birthday greetings. And so I am still logged in and sucked into the vortex. And so we are streaming live on Facebook because I thought the irony was next level. Yes, because we will be talking about Meta and Facebook with Hello Attorney General Charity uh, Attorney General Charity Clark. Sorry about that. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It is a doozy. Don't worry. <laughs> Especially first thing in the morning. Well, I'm yeah. glad you can be joining us and talking about the lawsuit that's been filed against Meta by several attorney generals across the country. And there's also several lawsuits, as I understand it, some at the federal level, some states have joined. Um, so I would love if you could kind of give us an overview of what's happening here. Sure. So uh, we have sued Meta, which owns Instagram, Facebook, and a number of other platforms. Our focus in the lawsuits on Instagram, other uh, state attorneys general across the country have done the same. Um, Some of us have sued in our individual state courts, as Vermont has, and some have joined a federal lawsuit taking place in California. Um, the reason why we sued in, people have asked that, so I'll anticipate the question. Um, the reason why we sued here in state court in Vermont is, uh, for one, I wanted to have our office controlling our case. I didn't want to have a multi-state case that we were participating in, which is great, but I wanted us to have control. The other is I, we know and like the case law and the, um, the protections that are offered by the Vermont Consumer Protection Act. So we wanted to take advantage of that and, and sue here in Vermont we're really enthusiastic about this case. Um, the investigation has been going on for a long time. Unfortunately, we were not able to resolve out of court and, and find ourselves having to bring this lawsuit. But I'm really proud to represent Vermont in this incredibly important issue that impacts especially teens, but really all of us. And I was not able to get through the entire 117-page filing on your website, but I'm really glad it was there. I do hope to get through it. And as I understand it, part of the core here is the way Meta has designed Instagram, it really kind of sucks young people in and is um, upsetting their mental health. Um, Is that, am I understanding that correctly? In a nutshell, you got it. I mean, we can unpack how they do that, but essentially you know, the way that in, I'll, I'll use Instagram since that's the focus, the way that Instagram makes money is through advertising. And the way that they advertise um, is by collecting our data. And using that data, they target advertising to us. So the more times they, the more eyeballs they can get looking at an ad, the more money they make. So they want us to keep scrolling, keep looking, keep interacting, et cetera, so that they can earn more money. You know, really Instagram to us looks like a social media platform, but 
on the business side to, to Meta, it is an advertising platform. Mm. So that is how they make their money. And the way that they maximize their income is by getting as much looks and interactions as possible. And so that's why they have designed Instagram to get that result. Isn't that what all businesses do for everything though? Like, I don't know, how is this different? I mean, all advertising is designed <laughs> to suck you in, to get you to more, more, more of whatever it is. That's sort of how all the capitalism works and how all the advertising works. So what's what sort of is one step further on this that's not okay? I think that when you think about, um, so say I'm, I'll use an example that none of us can relate to because we don't have billboards. I'm driving down the, the road in some other state that's not as great as Vermont, and I see a billboard, right? I just, I see it, I drive by. But imagine that billboard were able, no, excuse me, was designed to manipulate the vulnerabilities of my brain so that it literally was trying to determine how can we make sure that this person interacts with us all the time? And so instead of, I'm literally making up this analogy on the fly, but instead of living a normal life, I have changed my life so that I can keep interacting with this. And I keep driving by this billboard repeatedly instead of getting to work. I'm like, I can't go to work. I gotta come back. You know, it's it's like anything that's addictive. It's fine for, for, use, for safe use. You know, alcohol, we can use that safely. But there's a spectrum and what we know, and, and those of us here on this call, three of us, we can't quite relate because Instagram was invented after our brains had already developed. Mm, so I, I can, point. I don't know about you guys. sounds like Emily is so disconnected from Facebook. She let her password in. <laughs> like, no, wow. no, no, no. I actually lost my passwords oh. so that I could disconnect from Facebook because yes. I have such addictive tendencies right. into it. Right. And I end up in a rage spiral or a shopping spiral. But yes. in any case, like it is both platforms are terrible for me. And I yeah. really, I have to set strict stuff to stay off. Well, and luckily you have the maturity to be able to do and the ability to be able to do that. And not everybody can, but especially children. So there's all of these elements which were designed. It's not a coincidence that they were literally designed to um, engage teenagers in a compulsive and excessive way. And I don't know about you guys, but when I get the screen report, I was, I was interviewed by a media outlet and they were like, so what does this look like in your own household? And I was like, I wanted to say like, what are you, my, my screen report, you know, like, oh, but we're grownups and we don't have those vulnerabilities in our brains the way young people do. And that is also why we're targeting, um, uh, this uh, meta in this lawsuit, because we know there's a mental health crisis happening in Vermont. We know that from the, the behavioral youth survey. I think I've got that right. That happens youth every risk year. Behavior survey. Thank you, Emily. Um, and, and it's across the country and it's especially for girls and it's all of those elements, which I would, I would love to unpack. Can I tell you all the different, mm -hmm. so these Thank are the you. tools when we talk about oh, you know, Instagram is designed to be addictive. It's designed to keep this compulsive and excessive use, especially among teenagers. This is how they do it. And these are all going to sound familiar to you. The first is the magical algorithmic recommendation system, which learns what your preferences are by what are you liking? What are you hovering over and lingering over? And then delivers to you the products that you like to buy. 
um, that they that they think you're gonna, you're going to like to buy or that you have purchased in the past through their app or whatever. And it doesn't it doesn't judge. There's no morality. So they're not thinking, oh, this person appears to have an eating disorder. Like this sounds dangerous. Instead, they're like, oh, they like to look at you know uh, material that might be triggering to someone with with an eating disorder. Let's keep pushing it so that we can get more ad dollars. You know, there's no moral judgment in AI. It's just pushing whatever you're looking at a lot and interacting with a lot. So that is part of the problem, just the very algorithm. Also, infinite scroll. Infinite scroll is this idea that we have experienced when you're on your phone and you see the picture, it's, you know, your sister's, you know, barbecue, but just beneath it is the beginning of something else, right? What is that down there? And you can't resist. You want to just keep scrolling. Oh, that looks like a, you know, a foliage looks like apple cidering. What, what is it? You know, you have to keep going. And that has, you know, we all know what FOMO is fear of missing out. So that's another you know, tool that's being, being deployed in, um, in this effort to keep our eyeballs on Instagram. So infinite scroll is another one, excessive push notifications. I think there's an estimate that, um, teenagers get an, uh, an average weekly of over a hundred push notifications. Emily Kornheiser just posted a picture. Well, I FOMO, I can't resist. I got to find out what's going on with Emily. What picture did she post? Right. So, so just by frankly, turning off your notifications, you are doing something to protect yourself and you're kind of stopping that, but yeah, over a hundred notifications that are just enticing you. And I don't, I, I'm going to skip to ephemeral content. Ephemeral content is content that disappears after 24 hours or whatever, like stories. So if you get a push notification that says, Emily Kornheiser just posted a new story and you're like, ooh, I know Emily was going to that party. I love, I've invented this whole life for Emily <laughs> and I want to see what it is. But if it's a story, I better look now. I better interrupt whatever you know healthy thing I'm doing and look now or I'm going to miss it because it's an ephemeral content. Um, like counts, we get a little... Well, they, you know, they, they, I think this was publicly said by um, some of the founders of these platforms that you get like a dopamine hit when you're like, yay, I got a like. So like counts, view counts are similar with videos. So that also it gets addictive. And then um, I don't want to skip anything. The autoplay video feature where <laughs> you get there and it's already going. You're like, whoa, whoa, this looks interesting. You know, you don't have an opportunity to say, eh, I think I'm going to go make a sandwich, whatever you're up to in your life. And so you just keep engaging. And those are the tools that I have on my list for the obvious ways that Instagram is trying to get us um, to keep interacting with the platform. And so I think this is like, absolutely everyone's experienced this and has objected to it at one point or another, but I'm still not sure, like what makes that illegal is like, is it parallels to like, what is it in our consumer protection laws? Yeah. Is there something about like, how, like, is there a parallel to tobacco and tobacco settlements yes. and their targeting? Like, yep. to me, like, like all of it just sounds like creepy ass, like 2022 capitalism. Creepy ass 2022 capitalism is a violation of the Vermont Consumer Protection Act. So there's, oh two, there's two prongs of the Vermont Consumer Protection Act. So the first prong is deception, basically. And that is, um, I'm going to just, <clears throat> refer to the complaint that, uh, you know, down on 106, <laughs> old guy, I know you didn't read 117, but so 
there's basically misrepresentation, misrepresentation and deception is one prong. And the other prong is unfairness. And misrepresentation, deception is, you know, it's all familiar to us in the marketplace, like lying. You know, you told me something that wasn't true about a product. I relied on that and I bought this product because you told me about it, that kind of thing. The other, and by the way, this also um, is a count in our complaint because not only are all these things going on, but Meta is downplaying the safety problems. Mm -hmm. So they're deceiving us about the extent to which their platform is dangerous and harmful to teenagers and, and probably all of us. The other is unfairness. And unfairness is a, um, it's offending public policy. There's a whole list that's actually, um, oh. I'm not just, so I'm not just making it up here. This is it is, I, oh, it is so fascinating. Um, it offends public policy is the big one. It's I'm reaching for my notes without my glasses on. Um, no, it's not listed here, but it offends public policy. It's, you know, um, other things in that vein where it's just, it doesn't sit right and you know that it's wrong and we have case law on the unfairness prong um most recently in a similar kind of <clears throat> um usage <clears throat> excuse me with the clearview case clearview mm -hmm. is a face mapping um program and we argue that it you know it's violates the unfairness prong it's an unfair act and practice in commerce to do this um, it's you know, offensive, outrageous, offends public policy, those kinds of things. So we argue in both of these um, prongs, that those are the only two prongs of the Vermont Consumer Protection Act, and we'll see what happens. I mean, um, to me, I think, to be honest with you, too many, many, because the feedback that we have gotten has been really positive, I think, because people really relate to the claims that we're making because so many of us are on Instagram and Facebook and have experienced this, or we have teenagers um, and have experienced the, like, especially those in our generation where we, we didn't have Facebook. Like, if you were bored, you took up crocheting or something. Like, there was no, <laughs> there was nothing like that to, so- I didn't know anyone that took up crocheting when I was a teenager, Charlie. Oh, I was the industrious, like, calligraphy, you know. Oh, thank you. Crafting, Olga. crafting, yes, Crafting, yes. absolutely. <laughs> um, and, you know, to those of us who who've hung out with teenagers and they're just, like, scrolling, um, and you want to be like, who wants to play Boggle or whatever? And they're, like, just scrolling. I mean, it's, it, it is kind of unnerving. Um, so anyway, that, that was a very sloppy uh, uh, answer to your question, but that is why it's illegal. Um, and it is the, to also just circle back to the concept that it's like tobacco. So tobacco companies targeted young people because once with addiction, once you get somebody addicted, then you have them for life. Also, young people, as we know, their brains haven't fully mm -hmm. developed. And so they're more susceptible to these kinds of tricks. And that is part of why the comparison is being made because it's the same. I mean, why you think about it, why target young people who don't have as much money to spend, you know, as middle-aged people? Well, because their brains are vulnerable because you have a customer for life, you know, all those same, same tricks that were used um, in the, by the tobacco industries are being used here. It is kind of, I, I hear this, you know, we all know tobacco is bad for you, right? Like obviously in our generation, but generations before that wasn't obvious 
And that's why people were smoking in hospitals and, you know, doctors were recommending tobacco for relaxation and stuff like it wasn't as obvious. And I think we're at that moment, perhaps with social media, where people don't realize that Instagram is really bad for you. Um, but yeah, you get this, you get the screen report on your phone and it's, it can be kind of jarring. Like, wow, I spend a lot of, I spend a lot of time on my phone. Why is that? And maybe it's because you've kept a recipe open for 45 minutes or you're addicted to Sudoku. That's, that's my, uh, that's my go-to Sudoku. Um, but, or it could be that you're spending way too much time on Instagram or Facebook and you need to lose your password like Emily did. Mm-hmm. Um, what is different First of all, I just want to recommend I, when I have the scrolling urge, I use the New York Times cooking app and I just scroll recipes. Okay. And it provides like a similar, it provides some of the same hits, but there's like none of the, none of the suffering. Um, anyway, but what I was going to ask is like, what is more vulnerable about teenagers' brains? They aren't fully developed. So they're more vulnerable to, um, lack of regulation. And also, I mean, I'm not a doctor, um, but also um, if the dopamine hit, whatever mm-hmm. it might not be dopamine, but whatever the the chemical is that's giving them this, this sense of pleasure, they're more vulnerable to pursuing that repeatedly and lack of regul- being able to regulate it. Kind of a, a lack of perspective, if you will, that, that older people have. Thanks. And and that's, you know, we've talked about, about that, but let's talk about the other problem with, with Instagram. And that is exposing children to content that is harmful. Mm-hmm. So I've just referenced um, the eating disorder, but there's suicide. Um, there's uh, white supremacist recruitment. Yes. I didn't even think about that one. Se- you know, sexual. That's a um, huge one for young men. Yeah. And um, for, for girls, it's, uh, you, know, you know, sexual, um, enticements by strangers. I mean, there's all kinds of content and, um, you know, we don't want to overlook, look that either. I, there's a leaked, there's a lot about the lawsuit we can't talk about because under the terms of the, um, investigation there is confidential, but there was a leaked internal report that Meta did. And that, um, internal report has some that was leaked, has some disturbing statistics that I'll, I'd love to just share with you. Um, so I found it, they, they know this is a, just a way to demonstrate that they had a study that they did that demonstrated to even them that there was a problem. So it said that of teens age 13 to 17, who feel unattractive, 41% said the feeling started on Instagram. This negative social comparison is a huge problem. Um, of teens who felt they didn't have enough friends, 32% said the feeling started on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Of teens who felt alone or lonely, 21% said the feeling started on Instagram. Of teens who felt they weren't good enough, 24% said the feeling started on Instagram. Of teens who wanted to hurt themselves, 9% said the feeling started on Instagram. And of teens who wanted to kill themselves, 6% said the feeling started on Instagram. So disturbing. Mm-hmm. So this company has this information and is continuing to do what they are doing rather than say, hold up, you know, we need to do something to correct this problem. This, this app is harmful for teens. Um, so that's why we brought this lawsuit. So Charity, you know, all of this stuff and you've been thinking about this for a long time. Like how does that affect your, your life and your um, tweens life? Well, 
you know, my, my child is too young to be on social media. Um, and I plan on delaying that as long as I possibly can. I am like, I'm like people across this country. You know, I use Instagram, I use Facebook. Um, it's important to also get away from your phone, interact with people, but it is really tricky. I, I know I have like my, my niece, um, who is a teenager, she hides her like counts, um, to herself, you know, so it's just like, people liked it. Like, you don't need to know how many. Um, and I have wondered if I should look into doing that. Um, all these things that, that might be helpful. I definitely don't get notifications that just, I just can't be interrupted like that, but that's a classic. Like that's just shows maturity, you know, that I don't want to be interrupted. Like I have a busy life. I can't be bothered. Um, but I think that a, a lot of, um, people interact with that. They want, they want that. So it's, I think a lot of people don't even know they can turn notifications mm-hmm. off. Oh, I'm always like, I, I, once in a while I'll have like, I'll download an app and I forget to, to click that box. And I'm just like, please like what Yelp, I do not need to know all this. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that I'm probably very typical. Like I use, I use Instagram. I've, I was kind of an early adopter of Instagram. You know, I was, I was using Instagram in probably like 2010, maybe 2011 when I would post a cool, I lived in New York city. I would post like a cool, like graffiti or something. And it would be like, my cousin in Florida and my buddy from college, like, liked it. And that's it. Like I had like three friends, you know, and, um, and I was fine with it. It was like a fun, like way to catalog, you know, my, my adventures to myself. And I, I liked it. It was fun, but that was, you know, before all, I think probably all of these, um, these, these tricks were put in place to get me to keep scrolling. So I would post my picture, I would see the two likes and then I would move on with my life. It wasn't like this, like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I guess I haven't totally psychoanalyzed myself, but I do think that my behavior is probably typical. And I think when we announced this lawsuit, a lot of people, grownups were thinking like, well, how, you know, wow, this is kind of what I had a feeling was going on. But now that I know it's true, I, how does that change my own behavior or the way that I'm parenting my kids? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it's worth mentioning around content. I often think of things like this as someone who has worked in the film industry and worked in journalism and, you know, media, theater. Uh Choosing a movie, like when we were kids, if you wanted to see a movie, you had to look in the newspaper and see what was playing, and then you had to get in your car, and you had to go there, right? And so there was some screening and some yeah. filtering that happened. And even when you could start renting DVDs and, and, and everything, there was still, there was kind of a filtering that happened mm-hmm. before you made a choice. Yeah. Um, and I don't always agree with rating systems. I feel they they're really lax on violence and really strict on sex in a way that is perhaps a little upside down. Um, yep. However, again, you've got that rating system, right? It's an R. It's not a PG-13. Uh, again, filter, 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 filter. And with uh, a social media, Instagram and your phone, you don't necessarily have the same amount of filters happening on social media that we've kind of had on a lot of our content uh, traditionally for better or for worse. Yeah. The other thing that's happening with that is you, when you were describing how we like inter 
how we used to go to the movies, there was also a lot more real people involved in the journey. And now so much is in isolation. So if you're getting negative content and negative social comparison, like you're not pretty enough, other people are having fun without you. Like maybe you have, maybe you should eat less, you know, like, or glamorizing uh, eating disorder or whatever the thing is. It's like, you don't have anyone to talk to about it, to be like, that's, you know, you know, I think all of us in our teen years had that friend who was doing something harmful, like eating disorder or doing dangerous things, smoking, but you had other friends to be like, that's not cool. But if it's just you alone, you know, vulnerable in your room because of your, um, you know, all of these other tricks that are, that are kind of being deployed to get your eyeballs on ads. Um, I think that that also is really problematic and, and certainly part of why we see this uptick in the teen mental health crisis and this study that even Meta had access to because they created it showing a correlation between teens, at least their own perception of when these harmful thoughts, et cetera, happen where it, in, it initiated on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So we are just about out of time in this first half. Uh, Charity, anything you want to leave listeners with before we go to break? I mean, I would just summarize by saying, you know, in our view, Instagram was designed to be addictive and engage young users excessively and compulsively. And that is why we are pursuing them. Thank you. The Montpelier Happy Hour on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro will return after we hear from some of our underwriters. So stay tuned. Welcome back to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. If you're just joining us, I am your host, Olga Peters, and I'm speaking with Representative Emily Kornheiser and Attorney General Charity Clark. And we have been talking about um, a lawsuit the state of Vermont has filed against the company Meta. But before we do that, we also need to thank BCTV for sharing this video with public access stations, excuse me, around the state. Very appreciative there. And uh, what do we need to remind people of, Emily? Well, Olga, the views and opinions expressed here on the Montpelier Happy Hour are those of the host and guests, respectively, and not the station nor their employers. Thank you very much. So, uh, Charity, it's it's a good thing Emily's here because when Emily wasn't on the show, I would make the guests um, say that. And <laughs> say some of that. them were like, what are we supposed to say? <laughs> oh, that's funny. Emily, during the break, you brought up an interesting uh, topic that I would love us to dive into. I think you called it the addictiveness of the addictive quality of righteousness. So um, that needs to be a book title somewhere. Yeah. So I need to be on social media um, because of I'm an elected official and it is a way that people communicate with each other. And um, I, you know, lost my password for a little bit because I was just like getting stuck in scroll in the teen ways, all the teen ways that you described. Um, but the other part that I see a lot of more and more every day, and we've certainly talked about this in the context of, um, I don't know if the three of us have, but certainly there's been a lot of coverage of this issue with regards to like, you know, Russian 
troll farms and how um, that might have influenced the election or did influence the election. But there's something like really in there, I think, for all of us about like the addictive quality of that righteousness. Mm -hmm. You know, like I think everyone I know, um, their town Facebook page is a place where people do not behave in the way that they would ever behave in public in the town square. And yet for some reason, people keep on going back to that, right? And like nothing, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen anything good happen in one of those Facebook pages. It's just people flaming at each other. And, or in like the context of national politics, it's people arguing with no nuance, incredibly complex issues and not listening to each other. It's very, very hard to have a conversation in a comment section. And so like, what is it like, there's that piece that like, it really, I think all of the platforms really feed on. Um, and then that really like also keeps us hooked and destroys civil life. So if I think about sort of things, however, that clause in the consumer protection law that you talked about, that's sort of like against the public square, basically. Mm -hmm. um, that addictive quality of righteousness that so many of us get sucked into on social media is a big part of that. Um, there's sort of the teens and the mental health, but I think for adults, it's that righteousness that's really so destructive. It's mm. a really good point, Emily. I, I think it also relates to part of the challenge of how we experience this, this interaction in isolation. And, mm. you know, have you ever had, I remember when I was a, when I was a baby lawyer, I had this case against this man and he was such a jerk. And I was like, he's so mean. And I was, I was dreading going to the deposition and meeting him for the first time. And then of course I met him and he was like the nicest man. He just had a poison pen. And I was like, why do that? You know? But I think that this is that on a much larger scale where you're given this, this platform to say, and, and us, I mean, you know, as a public official, of course, I've been at the receiving end of this where people think they're never going to meet me. Mm -hmm. And so they'll say something rude or mean with their using their own name. Meanwhile, I'm like, I know your cousin. Why are you being so mean? <laughs> um, and they, there's no nuance. There's no compassion or, you know, differing viewpoints. But I want to say something positive, which is I think that is the opposite of what we see happening in our state house. We are all together in person. Everybody knows each other. Um, you know, the, the lobbyists you don't agree with, are there your pals with them anyway, everyone, it kind of, you know, gets along. And I think that if, if you can imagine what would happen if we didn't see each other and we didn't know each other and we weren't really connected and we didn't agree on something, it would be so much easier to say like, well, this person is, is a bad person because they don't agree with me on this bill rather than to have like actually know the person, you know? Well, it's interesting, Charity. I actually go out of, and it's true, like the collegiality in the state house really helps me be able to negotiate and deliberate with folks that um, I don't agree with and that have very different views of the world than I do. And I think that's really important because they represent Vermonters too mm -hmm. um, and deserve to have a voice in the conversation. And I actually go out of my way to not look at the social media feeds of hmm. certain folks who I know I need to work with because I just don't, I don't want to know what the virulent side of them looks like. Mm, interesting. Occasionally, we'll actually like two members of the legislature will get into like a spat 
via email or social media that they would never, ever say to each other in person. And we get reminders from House leadership, Republican House leadership, Democratic House leadership, that like the way we conduct ourselves in the state house is the same way we're expected to conduct ourselves out of the state house, including on social media. But it's so hard to remember once you're in the computer. Mm-hmm. Well, and you might want to remind your colleagues, too, that if they put it in writing, it's a public document more than likely. Well, I think there's, you know, there's also a trend which we've certainly seen um, in the U.S. House of Representatives where representatives actually are using that sort of politics of righteousness in order to build up their base, right? I think it's an expectation actually of a lot of constituents that people will act that way on social media if they really care um, or that they'll sort of feed whatever monster we all have living inside of us. And I, this is true on the left and the right. Um, and so I, it's really like a, I think people know that it's public. They actually want it to be public. They want to be seen being Tough. like meaner than they're capable of being when they're looking someone in the eye, you know? Mm. Mm. There's all these um, really interesting studies about um, soldiers and PTSD with um, more virtual weaponry. Oh, and so there are, you know, there are soldiers who are stationed in the U.S. that are like a drone pilot or something. Yeah. Yeah. That are killing people on the other side of the world. Um, and for whatever reason, they're killing people and whatever people's comfort with that is or abhorrence of that is, it's um, its own conversation that we're not going to have right now. But the impact of like not ever seeing that person that they're. And like how delayed the, that they don't ever process the implications of what they're doing for a long time. And then the trauma comes um, the same way it would for any soldier, but they don't, because they're alone, charity, right? Um, They don't process it in the same way as a soldier in the field might. This is all just a classic example of technology getting ahead of humanity and regulation. And so we're you know, that's a classic where we don't, we're still learning what the impacts of that might be. Um, one of the questions I was asked by a member of the media this week about this case was like, why Instagram has been around for a long time. Like what took you so long? And, you know, the investigation has been, been going on for two years. Um, but I think that some of this is just, you know, our understanding has increased and it takes time. So sometimes the technology kind of is ahead and we, we scramble to, to, to keep up. Mm-hmm. Well, I, my takeaway right now, just listening to this conversation, what I really appreciate is that concept of being in isolation versus being eye to eye or in groups with people. And it reminds me of um, a conversation I had with a friend who grew up in Vermont moved away to a much larger city. And she says, you know, when I was living in the city, if someone made me angry, I could really kind of pick and choose who my friends were and what restaurants I went to, because there were so many options uh, that I could be picky and I could isolate myself. But being back in Vermont, I have to be, I I still want to be nice to someone who might annoy me because that might be the person who stops in the snowstorm when I go into the snow ditch, right? Um, and how it, she was kind of saying how in Vermont, we don't really have the luxury 
of of isolating ourselves because one we need people and two there's just not enough except now we do now we do exactly with yeah yeah hmm yeah, I, I used to teach a class at UVM for our consumer assistance program. And a few years ago, I had this moment where everyone was kind of like getting ready for class and they were talking about the weekend and they were talking about this cool party they went to. And the reason why the party was so cool was because the hosts had a bowl in the, on the, like, as you walked in and everyone had to put their phone in there and they were like, so amazing. It was like, no one knows what happened. They're basically describing like our college experience and I was just laughing, but also so like shaken a little bit about how hard that would be to be young and live your life under scrutiny for all time because someone takes a picture of you and then there it is. And it was just so different. And to me felt like ironically so much more free to be able to just be you out there with no one recording it without you interacting about it to people or things escalating or the experience of, you know, the party that you didn't get invited to. Now you see it and you feel bad and, but you keep looking at the pictures and the algorithm knows that. So they keep showing you more pictures of the party or whatever. Um, so that was a real eye opener for me of realizing how different it is with social media to be a young person today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That level of scrutiny is a little rough. And just like, the constant interaction with the phone rather than with people or just spacing out. And, you know, there was this hilarious New Yorker um, article, not article, but like satire piece a couple years ago. And I remember the, the, it, the title was something like basically what summers looked like when I was a kid, because you got bored and there was nothing to do. And the, the uh, illustration was of a person like upside down in a chair, just like messing around because they were bored. And it was so on point. I, you definitely got to put it, find it, put it in the show notes because, oh my gosh, it was so, I was like, yes, this literally was, was what it was like to be a child. Like you would just be bored and be like, what if I whittle a stick and then do this with it? You know, like you just didn't have this entertainment constantly at your fingertips. And I think it made for, you know, learning new hobbies, being creative and just, it was such a different experience to be a child back then. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we, we need to accept that this is the world today, but also make sure that what is, um, what is the experience children are having is safe and it's, it's not now it's harmful. And that's why we brought this lawsuit to make sure that the harm stops. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I wonder about, um, harm wise is thinking about older folks, um, so my teenager, um, knows how to use, you know, knows how to change their notifications and pretty immediately does that. And, um, sort of was able to see all of their peers at behavior with their phone and their mother's behavior with their phone. And like, really was like, without much emphasis and like my child's, you know, awesome and slightly strange. And so like would put their phone away when they got home, um, without me saying so. And like, I've seen them like, because because they're so enmeshed in the culture, they can see what's challenging about it and course correct for themselves um, and talk to their friends about it. But what I see with a lot of older folks is um, they don't have a sense of like turning off the sound on their phone um, when they're around other people or turning off notifications for like most of the apps because the technology is just much less fluid to them. And loneliness is a huge deal for older Vermonters, right? And older Americans. And so how does the sort of option of the phone keep folks as their life is changing 
from really reaching out, from naming the loneliness, from figuring out what to do about the loneliness, because there's sort of like enough of a crutch in the phone to not make the kinds of changes or motions they would need to move past the loneliness. And it exacerbates the loneliness too, right? I guess I'm only slightly surprised that I've found a way to talk about scams in this podcast <laughs> on this lawsuit, but that you've just described the fertile ground for scammers too. Someone who is is lonely, isolated, older, and has access to communicating with strangers. I mean, it doesn't have to be Instagram or Facebook. It can be words with friends, but that is how, that's how scammers can prey on older people and try to pretend they're someone they're not like, you know, a friend or, and then, you know, that's how romance scams begin. Um, mm -hmm. All sorts of, you know, those kinds of um, scams start there, that fertile ground that you just described. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, you'd never think a, a phone would, would let you into such a dangerous world, but. <laughs> yeah. And like, and so much opportunity, right? Like that's I just, true, you know, true. I don't, like there are teenagers all across this country who like don't know a single queer person at their school, but because mm -hmm. of social media are able to find community. Right. And that's like true in a million different subgroups. Mm -hmm. um, and so I just like, there are a lot of really beautiful things about how interconnected the world is right now and how we're able to talk about and talk to anyone anywhere. I get to like really get to know the politics of all of these other states and learn about like what legislation is exciting to people's constituents all over the country. So there's like, there's good stuff. It's just that the technology has been like weaponized in order to. Right. It's easier to scroll than it is to turn off notifications. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so I, I, I guess I just hope that these lawsuits like really um, go forward and succeed. And so that like, maybe there is a world where we could get ahead of technology enough that it would be safe, but still available. Mm -hmm. Yep. And now that the lawsuit's been filed, uh, Charity, what, what's next? Right. So um, what happens after a complaint is filed, so that's filing a lawsuit, there's that 117 page complaint you mentioned, and then the defendants have um, an opportunity to file an answer. So they'll, you know, respond to the lawsuit. Then there's usually, but not always, motions practice. So a motion for to dismiss the case or a motion for summary judgment, like, hey, based on the facts, this is what 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 you should decide, judge. Then discovery, this exchanging of information. A lot of discovery in this case has already been done because of our investigation, right. but not all of it. Um, so we'll proceed there, at, you know, and then we'll just, you know, the court will set a calendar for when a trial will be eventually. Um, so it's just a typical lawsuit in many ways from here on out. Um, it just happens to be a lawsuit that impacts so many people and especially the vulnerable people of Vermont, the young people of Vermont. Mm -hmm. And um, what what do you think is important for people to understand about the lawsuit where it stands now? Like, I think if there's a lot of folks out there who are listening to this, who are very invested in one outcome or another, or have their concerns about social media or what have you, um, what can this lawsuit accomplish and what, what would be like too big an expectation? I mean, what we want is the harm to end. So that's the priority. We also have asked for monetary relief. But I mean, if people are thinking about this lawsuit, I want them to be thinking about things they can do to 
protect themselves right now. They, we, this platform is addictive. Um, and, but there's things that they can do. And I, the first is to, um, if you are feeling you like you're being abused, harassed, if there's someone suspicious, if, if someone is making sexual advances towards you and you don't know them, like tell someone, especially if you're a young person, you know, don't let yourself be isolated. In other words, um, parents should model responsible behavior for their children and also encourage you know, no phones at the mealtime, stuff like that. Um, encourage in-person interaction, playdates, and other gatherings that involve other people. These are tips I pulled from the Surgeon General's website. Um, for children, always be cautious about what you share. I mean, we've talked about data privacy before, and um, folks should really be cautious about providing personal information. And the other thing is to teach kids about technology. That's being done in Vermont schools. I know because my child will come and make points about things that are that are being taught in schools, which is great. But just not being shy about saying this can be harmful. Here's why. Um, and making sure that children are just aware. So they're a little bit more savvy and sophisticated about some of the problems of social media. So that's, I think, what people should be thinking about. And if you have awareness about your own, you know, um, time spent on Instagram that might be harmful to you or the content, like to put things in place. Like this is literally a product that's de designed to have people interacting with it in an excessive and compulsive way. So it's not, don't feel embarrassed if that's happening to you. It's literally designed to do that. So just put up the boundaries that you know you need to. Thank you, Charity. We unfortunately need to end there uh, because Emily needs to hop off and get to a meeting. But thank you so much, uh, Charity, for, for coming in. If people want to find out more about your office and what they do, where can they find that information? We, you can find us on the, um, on the web at um, ago.vermont.gov. And on social media, you can go to the website and find we have various account names. Um, so I don't, I don't want to say them wrong, depending on where they are. But we do on the, on the landing page have a link to all of our social media accounts. Thank you. And of course, Emily, where can people find you? Folks can go to emilykornheiser.org and you'll find all the ways to contact me there. And as always, you can drop us a line at the Montpelier Happy Hour at the Montpelier Happy Hour at gmail.com. We also do have a Facebook page or you can leave comments wherever you find your podcasts. And we will be back next Friday here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. Have a great weekend, everyone.